Good morning, my name's Andy. I'm the pastor of Legacy South, and I'm privileged to be able to wrap up our series this morning on asking questions. We've titled it Asking for a Friend as we've dug into questions about our faith. I heard a story recently about a grandpa. He, he was there in his home reading, and his granddaughter came running in and said, Grandpa, can I sit on your lap? And he said, of course, and she snuggled up close and he thought, man, this is nice. And then she asked, she says, Grandpa, can you make a noise like a frog? And he thought to himself, I wonder where this is going. And so he said, of course I can. And so he says, ribbit, ribbit. And he was expecting her to reply, to come back with something. And she leaped off his lap and ran out of the room saying, we're going to Disney World. We're going to Disney World. And he's like, Disney World, what are you talking about? And the mom met her coming into the room, says, Disney World, what are you talking about? She says, you said we could go to Disney World once Grandpa croaks. And that's really, uh, that's what our message today, that's what our question is about, is, is there life after death? You know, we're all, we're all going to croak. That's going to be our end result to our life one day. And so that's what we're looking at today is their life after death. And scripture allows us to look at this from three different perspectives. We can look at it from the past, you know, what, what has happened about death, what Jesus did, like we looked at at Easter. We can also look at it in our present. We can look at it in you know, what our life is like now, what we do, and does it matter? And we'll take a glimpse at both of those, but I want to start us off in 1 Corinthians. Paul, the first century church planner, in his letter to the church at Corinth, really speaks to the future of, you know, this question of what life after death is going to look like. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to start with verse 49. Listen to the word of the Lord. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die but we will all be transformed. This passage and this entire chapter of chapter 15 is interesting. The Greeks of that day struggled with this teaching of a transformed body, a resurrected body. You know, Paul is referring to our bodies just like Christ's body was resurrected, becoming resurrected. And the Greeks struggled with that. They, they were okay with the idea of heaven, they, they were good with the idea of worshiping God, but they couldn't get their head around the idea of once this vessel of a body that we have breaks down and is done, why would we ever want to go back into it? Why would we want a transformed body? And that's where they struggled. And the church at Corinth held on to some of those beliefs and struggled with it. So this teaching of Paul, this chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, is the longest teaching in all of scripture about the resurrection the resurrection of christ and the resurrection of us that's what this is about and this teaching talks about dying bodies it tells us in here it says that these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever 
we must move into new vessels. We must move into new bodies to move in to the hereafter. That's what it tells us. But then it talks about a secret. It says, we will not all die. So if we must move into these new bodies, but we're not all going to die, how's that going to work? What's, what's that going to be like? And the bottom line is this earthly body will need to be replaced one day. And it's going to be replaced one day. Scripture is clear. But Paul goes on to tell them how that's going to look. I'm going to pick it up in verse 52. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Replacement for our dying bodies is going to happen in one of two ways. We are going to have death. And one day, just like grandpa, we're going to croak. Or Jesus is going to return. One of those two things is going to happen, and that is going to allow us to move into a transformed body. So when we're transformed, how is that going to work? It talks in here about that moment, and it says in this translation, the blink of an eye, but the Greek word for that is atomos, and that means the moment of time that is the smallest and shortest it could possibly be. It's a moment of time that cannot be divided any further. Our word Adam comes from that. And there's another translation that I love that uses the term not in the blink of an eye, but it's going to happen in the twinkle of an eye. And the commentator talked about it's going to be the time it would take, the speed of light to travel from the the front to the back of our eye. That is going to be something that is a fraction of a nanosecond. That's how quick this is going to happen. So for us, that means we're not even going to notice it. It is going to be instantaneous. That's how this is going to happen. We are going to be transformed. Either we die and we're transformed or we have Jesus return and we're transformed immediately. That's when we are going to recognize what is happening. That's when we are going to know we are now in our new form, our new transformed body. There's a companion passage that goes with this that really does a good job of painting the picture. So if you have your Bibles and are following along, I'd encourage you to write a note in the margins for 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, because it really, it really describes what's going to happen. Well, listen to this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. This is the moment 
that the curse is reversed. When Adam and Eve had that original sin and the curse was placed on us and death came into the equation, this is the moment that that curse gets reversed. We get to move our lives back into the right relationship it's supposed to be in with no death, no suffering. We are going to have that unblemished form that Adam and Eve were created with. That is how we are going to be able to spend the rest of all eternity in these transformed, resurrected bodies. No death is not going to be in the picture. That is a picture of heaven. That's what it's going to be. And listen to how Paul describes it as we continue this. Verse 54, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is the end of death. This, uh, I love the way, I love the way Paul describes it. The fact that death is not going to have any more power. This is the victory that we are going to be able to experience. This is our moment of victory as believers. With these transformed bodies, we now, for eternity, are going to be with Jesus. We are going to be in heaven. That is our victory. And Paul points clearly to who won this battle for us. Listen to verse 56. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. 57. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not what we do to receive eternal life to be able to have this victory it's who did it for us it's what jesus did at calvary when he laid down his life paying a debt that was ours that's the reality of this scripture that's what paul is pointing us towards and then he wraps it up with this verse here verse 58 so my dear brothers and sisters be strong and immovable Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. This this last verse is interesting to me because it talks about what we're going to do for the Lord. And that's not, I think, a works theology that we're going to be able to earn our way into this everlasting eternity with Jesus. We're not going to be able to earn our way into heaven. But what we do on this life in this life we have been given, matters. We need to be seeking Jesus. We need to make a decision for Jesus. That's the reality of it. Is there life after death? Yes. But this picture painted by Paul right here isn't a complete picture of life after death. This future, this future we've described, this victory is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed to us. There's a passage in Matthew. In Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking and he talks about how we're supposed to treat people, about about feeding people, about clothing people, and about caring for people. And he talks about how when we do this, we do this for him, when we do this for others, when the lowest and least, when the marginalized and the meek are cared for, we are doing this for Jesus. But he also talks in that same passage about what happens when we don't. 
And we need to hear that as well this morning. Listen to verse 41 of chapter 25 in Matthew. Then the king will turn to those on the left. And those were the ones on his left were the ones that were not doing what he had commanded. He will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Now, this is not a, a scare tactic or a fire and brimstone message that I'm bringing to you this morning. That's not my style, but this is the truth. This is in Scripture. This is the Word of God. The decisions we make in this present day, in this life we've been given, they will determine our future for all of eternity. That's what Scripture tells us. It's not a decision about behavior about how we're going to act it's a decision about what we're going to believe how we are going to believe about jesus and who jesus is in our life that's what is going to make all the difference and we can struggle as a people in this day and age we don't like to talk about hell we can struggle with conversations about hell we're not comfortable with a god who loves us this much allowing people to go to hell but I think we have to think about it. We have to consider it because it's the truth. There's a book I read called Christian Theology in Plain Language. And I'd like you to hear an excerpt from that uh, speaking to this. Non-Christians often ask the Christian, but how can the God of love allow any of his creatures to suffer unending misery? The question is, how can he not? The fact that God is love makes hell necessary. Hell, as E.L. E. L. Mescal once said, is not compatible with God's love. It is a direct consequence of it. That was his way of stressing the fact that the very God who loves us is the one who respects our decisions. He loves us, but he does not force his love on us. To force love is to commit assault. He allows us to decide. He loves us. He encourages our response. He woos us. He pursues us. He urges us, but he does not force us because he respects us. Hell is not a place our God condemns us to. It's a place we choose to go to. It's this simple. We're going to live forever. We are eternal beings. We are going to live forever. And what that life, that life after our bodies are transformed, if Jesus comes again, or when we die, that life hinges on our decision in this life about Jesus. It can't be any plainer than that. If we choose to follow Jesus, eternity for us is in heaven. If we choose not to, it's hell. And to not make a choice is to choose. Our lives, our lives also today, I need to say, our present lives are affected by this decision as well. And what I mean by that is just my own experience has been, I've walked periods of my life away from the Lord, and I've walked periods of my life close to the Lord. And when I chose Jesus and chose to walk with him, my life has been better. That's the reality of this life here and now. It's an abundant life when we live it with Jesus.
C.S. Lewis, I'll close with this. C.S. Lewis put it this way. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. Is there life after death? Absolutely. We get to choose in this life what it'll look like. Choose Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, I just give you thanks that you would send your son to die on a cross so that we can have life eternal with you. But we get so much more, Lord. We also get an abundant life here in this world with you. I pray that you will allow us to be a people to see that you are there waiting for us to turn to you. Turn to you for forgiveness. Turn to you for the love that you have waiting to pour upon us. And Lord, I pray that you will right here, right now, whoever is straddling the fence, whoever is uncertain, whoever is unsure, give them that sure and certain knowledge. Give them the presence of your Holy Spirit. Shower it down on them that they will be able to say, you, Lord, you, Lord, are the Lord of my life. I accept your forgiveness that you give to us through your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.